Hello everyone. Welcome to the Business Records Innovation Update, a new feature where we check in on the work in Central Iowa supporting the startup and small business environment. I'm Kate Hayden, Technology, Innovation, and Entrepreneurship Reporter for the Business Record. This week I speak with Mike Cowell, Executive Director of Entrepreneurial Initiatives at the Greater Des Moines Partnership, about transitioning the Raising Capital Seminar Series to meet entrepreneurs where they are, virtually. Hosted twice a year by the partnership LWBJ and Brown Winnick Law, this fall's session runs from October 7th to October 28th. Check in to hear Mike and I talk about fundraising during a pandemic and what business mentors can do to support entrepreneurs during this time. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Mike Caldwell. I work for the Greater Des Moines Partnership and I run their entrepreneurial initiatives. And I've been with the partnership 13 years. Uh, my wife and I are also angel investors and uh, are active in that community. Uh, I co-manage Plains Angels with Tej Dava, and I also am part of the group that started the Iowa Agritech Accelerator and the Global Insurance Accelerator, and I sit on both boards. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. Um, we're here to talk about the Raising Capital Seminar Series, which I believe has already started as of October 7th. Is that right? It has. We actually had our first session yesterday. Mm-hmm. All right. And Tell me a little bit about um, how long the Raising Capital Seminar has been hosted by the Greater Des Moines mm-hmm. Partnership, Brown Winnick Law, and LWBJ, and then what what did this year's transition look like? You know, what, sure. how do you reformat um, such an important seminar and educational um, opportunity for entrepreneurs digitally? Yeah, so the Raising Capital Seminar has been around since 2016. So I believe this is year or before, but at least 2016. Um, it's, it's evolved like anything that you, 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 you know, we try to do something and get it started and it evolves. It started out as a one day seminar and the whole idea was to cover all the aspects of raising capital. And so there's been a variety of people involved from Brown Winnick Law, LWBJ. We've had entrepreneurs in the area join us for it. Um, but the, the intent was always to teach it from the view of someone who's actually doing it. So entrepreneurs who've raised capital and uh, investors who've invested capital as the people teaching these classes, because they really are classes. What happened was we kept running out of time, right? We tried to jam this all in a day, and it just didn't make sense. And it's a long day. This is not simple material, and uh, it, it's important, it's complex, but it can get a little dry. So the evolution that we went through this summer was to break it into five sessions. And so we actually had to do it uh, virtual in March, uh, our previous uh, version, though, all in one day. And we did it via Zoom, and we did it with about three days' notice. And honestly, it went pretty well. Uh, you know, we were I think everybody was just in the same boat together. It's, I think whenever you're thrown into something like this with a whole bunch of people, it's like, we just figure it out. You know, people are really good in crises. In, in times of change. And so coming out of that, we said, you know, the virtual worked really well. And going forward, even after the pandemic, we'll both do both virtual and live once we can do live again. So we realized we we're picking up people who could have never gotten into the classroom. Um, so we'll do uh, both modes going forward. We're still in, you know, in, in COVID protection mode right now. So we actually started yesterday with our first two modules and we've broken the program into five modules. And the modules start with the process. What is that overall process of raising capital? Um, what are all the steps you have to go through? Um, you know, it's, it's everything from what do you need? 
uh, how long does it take? And we break it down into momentum, materials, and meetings. So we really just talk through the process of finding investors and all the steps from getting ready to going out and meeting people to closing the deal to after the close. The second module we teach is called the pitch, and it's telling your story. And it's probably the most important thing because it is the investor and entrepreneur's version of a first date. So if I'm out raising capital and I get a meeting with an investor, my first real date is to pitch them my company. And so that pitch is really critical to get right. And so we did that yesterday afternoon. Uh, the third section is on pro forma or, and the financial model, model, excuse me. So a financial model really describes what the economic impact could be of the startup, how much money you need, how you're going to spend it, where you're going to spend it. It's the details, right? And it's probably sometimes considered a little bit dry, but it's funny to watch entrepreneurs who've never done financials three years later just living in their financials because they understand that it's the lifeblood of their company. So it's, it's probably as crucial as any other piece. Uh, the fourth piece, fourth piece is called the cap table, and this is going to be taught by uh, Brown Winnick Law. Uh, cap tables are something that uh, they're basically a description of who owns what part of your company. It sounds simple on the surface, but as you raise round after round after round of capital, uh, sometimes earlier investors have pro rata rights to buy additional shares in future rounds. Uh, so it gets pretty complex, pretty quick. And this is something that M&A attorneys do a lot is manage these cap tables because they get, I've seen cap tables that uh, quite honestly, I can't even read. They're so complex. So it's very, very important for the entrepreneur to understand the impact because it also records how much the entrepreneur owns of the company. And then the final piece is the term sheet. And the term sheet is the negotiation. So a term sheet is, you know, we start with what is it? And there's a ton of terminology. There's all these things about rights and 1x pro, uh, preferences and preferred shares. And it is literally what defines how the deal will go forward. And unfortunately, what happens sometimes is somebody will, as an investor, say, I want a 2x preference. And the entrepreneur doesn't know what that means. And when they have an exit and they think, wow, we, we did great. We invested $5 million. We got $40 million on the back end. And they realize they didn't get anything. The investors got it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the truth is they could say it's unfair. They could say, wow, I feel like I've been cheated. And, and maybe they may, I don't know if they have or not, but that was all documented in something called a term sheet. It wasn't hidden away. It was created in a legal document. So we're really about making sure people understand what these term sheets mean and what you're signing away and what you're signing up for. So that makes up the five modules. Uh, we did them. We're doing over four weeks this year. Um, we will actually, next uh, spring when we do it again, we'll do it over five weeks. So we'll do one module a week for five weeks. What makes you what makes you go forward that way? Well, a couple things. One, people are busy running their startups. So to take a week away or every morning of a week is extremely challenging. Two, we want them to have some time to think about the work they've done. So when you start with this process and get this overview, and then you go through the and you, you start to do some things like getting all your documents together so that your your uh, uh, in your deal room or, or all your documents for due diligence are available. You have a lot of work to do. And then you start working on your pitch. You go through the pitch presentation. You're not done with your pitch when we're done with the class. Right. Now you have the tools and hopefully some good advice. But now you need to build the deck. And then same thing with financials. So it's, I won't say it's homework because we don't give homework, but if you're following along and using this right, then you've got a lot of work to do at the end of every, every class. 
So I think actually a week wouldn't be enough to really get it all done, but it's probably enough to, to spend some serious time on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, can you tell me what the challenges are in reaching your um, audience of entrepreneurs virtually right now? You know, what is there is there a difference between gathering people in a classroom and being able to go through these, you know, these very technical concepts in person, um, especially since, you know, some of the success of their business will depend on their understanding of these concepts. Um, How do you how do you bridge that divide when you're in separate rooms, potentially in separate cities? Yeah, I, I don't know that there's a perfect way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's pros and cons on both sides. I think that virtual people get very – I think it helps them focus because you're not in a room with people walking by. You're not listening to something on the corner, and so you don't have that distraction factor. Um, you miss the networking, right? We all miss the networking, the in-between sessions when we take a break and you get to know somebody. Uh, I still, I've been in a lot of virtual conferences, and I'm sure you have too. I haven't seen a networking system that works as well as – standing there talking to each other over a coffee or tea, right? It does, I just haven't seen it. Um, the Q&A is not as good virtual, and so we mm-hmm. found that we have to stimulate the Q&A. So, for example, yesterday our presenter was Sharice Flynn, and while Sharice was presenting, I was very consciously creating a banter with her and talking with her, and I wouldn't say joking, but asking questions, right? I'm prompting the questions that I think should be asked. And so while in in a classroom environment, I really probably wouldn't need to do as much of that. Um, it was really a real back and forth. And we, I can't say we really planned it out, but we, were, we just talked early in the morning and said, look, we can't let this get dull, right? Mm-hmm. So everywhere from telling stories to we were, you know, some, some of the people on the call we knew. So we'd call them out, say, hey, tell us what you're doing, right? And try to pull from them. So you have to actually pull people into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And is there... Have you have you received feedback from, you know, what you put together in in March before this this series of of seminars? You know, what were uh, what were people telling you at that time? What was successful over a virtual uh, seminar and and what was their experience on the other side of the screen? Well, you know, we didn't have anybody really say it was uh, that they felt like it was worse because of being on virtual. I think in some ways it was, but let's be honest, people being pretty, have been very polite about the, the world of pandemic and people have been giving each other a lot of grace. Right. Uh, what we heard as a positive was I could have never gotten into the class. I don't live there. I can't leave. I've got, you know, we have one entrepreneur that says I'm taking care of my, uh, I have an adult dependent, you know, they've got a parent they take care of. They can't leave. So while no, it's not as good as being live, we found some new positives and that's why I say, and I don't think I'm the only one said this, but uh, when we go forward out of the pandemic, when we can interact freely and not worry about this, we'll still be doing it virtual along with live uh, mm-hmm. simply because we're picking up people we couldn't have picked up and face it. We can, we can serve people that aren't here in the area. Right. I mean, if somebody, I don't care if somebody from Vietnam wants to get on the call and take the class, who cares? Right. It's not costing us anything. Uh, it's good for Des Moines because look what Des Moines doing. So uh, I think there's some real value in it. Sure. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what does, you know, what what does the, the the raising capital landscape look like right now? Has anything about the process of raising capital changed over the last few months? Um, I mean, so much of our lives are different now that I, it, it's hard to know 
from the outside looking in, is it going to be the same process as people have gone, you know, through over the last 10, 20 years? Or, or are there things people should expect to be different beyond just meeting over Zoom instead of a coffee shop? Yeah, I, I think it's actually improved. Um, first of all, raising capital is just as easy now as it was before, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the institutional capital. The, the, the professionally managed funds, uh, whether it's a seed fund, a venture fund, they're going full force. And because they're not traveling as much, they're taking more meetings. Uh, there's people like Fred Wilson who blogged about this. You know, I, I used to be stuck on an airplane for three hours. Now I've got three meetings. And I can actually not take one of those meetings and go exercise if I want to. So, I mean, there's been some benefit both for the investor and the entrepreneur. And I think that will uh, continue. We've seen quite a few investors write about investing in a company where they've never physically met the person. And they're saying, you know what? It's working just fine. We would have never even considered that pre-pandemic. Now it's business as usual. And that's not going to change. Uh, Jason Kalkinis, who runs the Launch Accelerator out in the West Coast and runs a large syndicate, uh, in a rec- I was in a class with him recently, and he stated that they always made their accelerator participants come to San Francisco. He said, I was absolutely wrong when we did our virtual version. It was just as good or better. He said, sure, you'll lose some things. We're going to have it physically, too, but we're going to allow people to come intend without being physically there. Because, again, they're picking up people they would have never attended. So we're, we're seeing some positives out of this. The capital, raising capital right now is actually doing quite well. I mean, you look at our local environment. You've written the stories, uh, as have others talked about them. We've seen more money raised during the pandemic from March to current than we saw in the last couple of years. You, know, you had Growers Edge raise a $40 million B round. You had... Uh, the Iowa Startup Accelerator just raised a $15 million seed round, Power Power, $13 million, Pitchley, two and a half, Make You Safe, I don't even know, three or four, uh, Move Out of Cedar Falls, I don't even know who they are, they raised 5.5. We used to get just wildly excited because one company raised $5 million in a year, and I just rattled off $60, 70000000 million, and we did it during a pandemic. So um, I think the only downside right now is some of the angels have backed off. And I think it's simply their own personal financials. I mean, angel investing is really risky capital. And so if you're worried in the pandemic that maybe your job's not stable, maybe your investments are down, as an individual investor, you're probably going to back off. Mm-hmm. When when you talk to um, when you talk to the investors, so either angel investors or or fund managers or any of those other players um, on the other side of the coin from from entrepreneurs, do they have any main concerns that they're watching for over the next few months? Because we're still pretty early in a in a cycle that's been affected by a pandemic. Do they have any particular concerns about, okay, now I've I've not met these people and I'm investing in their company. These are the things that I'm going to keep an eye on um, going forward since this process is different than what I've established. I don't think there's too much different. I think that uh, investors, especially institutional investors, there are those that are running a fund professionally, um, have always required good communications. It's always been critical. I mean, it wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the invest, the uh, communications, quite frankly, are more active now than they were before because, again, people are stuck. Um, you can't just go have a coffee with somebody. So I think there's more activity there. Uh, I think that where the investors – 
probably are looking out is not so much across the board, but in certain segments. So they've got certain investments that have been damaged by the, the coronavirus, right? So if you were investing in event management, live sports, live events, you've got some tough investments. So you're spending more time with those people. You may be reserving capital that you were going to invest in another company. You may say, now nah, I'm going to hold on to that because I still believe in this company. We, we all know live events will come back, right? I mean, just to pick on that area, because we have several entrepreneurs in the area that are live events oriented. Um, live events will be back. And my guess is when we can go back to live events, it's going to be wide open. We're all going to be at every live event. We, I know that the minute the theater's open down it's, it's Civic Center, I will be in there, right? I love the theater. Um, I can't wait. So they're probably working very hard to sustain those companies to make sure that they're using their capital properly, that they're ready to go when things change. It's not just, oh, careful with your money. It's, are you ready? What's your, you know, once we see a sense of things getting better, how much time do you need to really ramp it back up? Because you're probably going to have to hire people again. You're probably going to need to recontact people that haven't, you know, that haven't been talked to. The, on the other side of that, you know, those, those people's customers have changed. So, there's no saying that all the people that used to be at the Wells Fargo Arena here in Des Moines are the same people that will be there when they can reopen completely. There may be change, right? The people may have moved around, taken different jobs. You just That's the kind of thing they're going to be work, work, uh, worrying about, I would say, is those kinds of companies. Mm-hmm. So that, that, I think, is a good segue into kind of the role of mentors um, during this time. Uh, clearly, we talked – we talk generally about um, mentorships as, as being individuals that entrepreneurs can lean on because the mentor has been through it. The mentor has, you know, X or Y set of experiences that they can fall back on. And no one I have talked to has lived through um, a shift in an epidemic or a pandemic before. So, so what is the, what is the role of mentors guiding entrepreneurs through a business environment that hasn't hasn't existed before. They haven't experienced it either. And maybe they're also experiencing it in their own businesses. Well, you're hitting exactly right. The, uh, I, you know, I'm 59 years old and I've lived through quite a few financial crises. Um, the dot-com meltdown, the, the high interest rates of the early 80s, the, you know, obviously 08 for a lot of us. Um, it's nothing like this. Right. This is totally new for everyone. I don't know anybody that, that very few people that have lived through a pandemic. If they are, uh, they're probably 100 years old. So I don't think many people have that experience. What we do have experience sometimes in is going through really difficult times and leading through times of change. Um, a lot of the mentoring that's going on is, is uh, how the heck do I handle this? And while the pandemic is very, very different, the economic impact, the business impact, it's a downturn. Right. It's a form of downturn. In some small cases, it's a form of upturn. If you are in the virtual space and you provide virtual products, you're probably so busy you don't know what's going on. So while there's mentoring getting through very, very difficult times, there's also mentoring going through, how do I keep up with this? Who do I hire next? How do I manage through this? I've got to grow so fast. I don't have the cash to grow fast. Do I raise money? What do I do? So there's mentoring on both sides. And I think, you know, we've, we've got uh, something at the partnership called the, the, the mentor connection where you can actually find mentors and you just go on our website, dsmpartnership.com and search mentor connection. You'll find it. Um, and it's a way of matching people up and it's everything from small business people to people that are in 
higher scale businesses. And I think that so many times in mentorship is, while there's a lot of good experience and knowledge, a really good mentor is someone who asks a lot of questions, not so much that answers as much as you might think. Uh, we all have to internalize what we, what we want to do. So Kate, if you're running a business, I can tell you what I think you should do, but if you don't internalize what you think you should do, you probably, it probably won't work out for you. So I'm more likely to ask you a series of questions and pull out what you're thinking and help you come to a conclusion on your own. Maybe you're saying, well, I think I've got to hire three people. Well, maybe I think you shouldn't hire three. Then I might start asking questions about the cash flow and, and can you train three at once and how does one's work affect the other? Not to tell you what to do, but to hopefully get you to go, wow, yeah, hang on, I got to slow that down. So maybe what I should do is hire the first one and then hire the other two once the first one's onboarded. Um, maybe I don't have the cash. Maybe I need to get the first one in and make sure cash remains until the second one. And, and I don't know if that's a great example, but it's just a way of saying mentors aren't about telling what to do. They're about asking questions and presenting probably situations that maybe the entrepreneur hasn't thought about. Maybe you haven't been through this before, and I have. And I've been through that. I hired too many at once, and I, it got out of control, or, or I didn't hire enough, and it got out of control. So uh, that's I think that's a lot of a mentor's role, and that's part of the reason we created the connection was so that people could find those mentors that they need. Mm-hmm. What would you say to, to someone who could fill that role for an entrepreneur and is perhaps, you know, second-guessing, whether or not they have the experiences to, to guide during this time? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we all have to admit when we don't know something. Uh, I probably do that once a day. <laughs> I have to say I don't know. Um, but I, maybe I can find out. A lot of times a mentor's value beyond just the questions asked is the connections they have. You may be mentoring someone in an area of, of that is in your expertise circle, and then they ask a question you don't know about. You say, you know, I don't know. Let me help you find somebody. I think I know someone. I think a friend of mine that I went through college with is in that business. Let me let me go ask. Uh, that's a lot of what I do for the partnership is with the people I'm mentoring and helping. There's some pretty unique situations that come up technologically, science, business, uh, relationship management that I don't know. And I, I think mentors just have to be honest. So, you know, I don't know about that, but let me see if I can help you or let me talk it through with you. Because I, as a mentor, may not know the answer, but I may have experiences that would give you, the, the mentee, a, a different view, another perspective to look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward over the next few months, um, what will uh, what will the, the partnership be doing to help um, kind of continue supporting entrepreneurs and, and startups during this time? Uh, what does, when does the next raising capital series, when is that scheduled? Um, and are, are there any other, are there any other things on the horizon that we should be keeping watch out for as entrepreneurs or as potential mentors? So this, we will continue to do the raising capital seminar at least twice a year. That's been our plan and we'll continue to be our plan. We also record all of it and make all of the recordings, um, and all the documents available online. So uh, the people who, who, wow, I just missed it, what do I do? Well, if you go to the page, go down below the doc, you know, the information about the event, the last event's information is there. 
We also did a new event uh, this year that was just kind of, let's give it a try called Current State. And we did that in August. And I don't know if you were able to attend that, but we basically brought together three panels. One was a panel of investors, one was a panel of entrepreneurs, and then one was a panel on people are experts on dealing with certain specific tactical things. And we talked about what is the state of uh, what's the state of raising capital for investors? What's going on? So a lot of the things you asked me, th these were the investors who were talking to each other about what are they seeing? How's it going? What, what advice they have for an entrepreneur that's trying to raise capital? And then we had a panelist, uh, a panel of, of entrepreneurs. In fact, Gabe Glenn was the moderator of the panel talking about what are we going through? What are we dealing with as entrepreneurs right now? And what does the current state of not just raising capital, but running a startup, growing a startup, what does that look like? We're going to continue to do that twice a year as well. And both of these we're doing in partnership with Brown Wannick and LW because they have the experience. I mean, let's face it, if you're the law firm, and they're not the only one, but they do a lot of M&A. LWBJ does a lot of M&A, which includes all these rounds of capital for these startups. They're very, very knowledgeable about not just our local area, but the regional and national area. So they bring a perspective that's really valuable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we continue to offer our mentoring opportunities uh, through the Mentor Connection. I'm here full-time helping people. Uh, we haven't had as many startups start this year as we probably would have without a pandemic, but we're starting to see some people say, I don't know if I'm crazy or not, but I think I want to start a business and because they're seeing new opportunity. Uh, one of the things I personally believe, and I've seen a lot of other people say it, so it's not a unique thought to me, but I really expect the startups that are formed in the next 24 months to outperform the market, just like what happened in 2009 and 10. If you go back and look at some of the startups that started in 09 and 10, they are there are some that have grown phenomenally, and it's simply because they took advantage of a situation that came about because of the financial meltdown, the housing market meltdown. They'll take advantage of what happened in COVID-19, and they'll create new new opportunities new businesses, new products, new services to meet the need. You know, I think the, the, the thing I will add is, is something that it's been said a lot, but now is the time to support the local businesses. Whether it's a startup or a local business, now is the time. Uh, we're going through an unprecedented amount of impact on our local businesses. And by the way, a lot of them are startups too, right? Maybe they're not going to scale and go public someday, but our restaurants, our bars, our small businesses, our retailers – they are hurting bad. And so I guess if I got the chance to say anything, I'd say the holidays are coming, shop local. And I have one final question for you. We are all stressed out and all going through quite a bit. When the day is over and you're pushing capital and business off to the side, what is the one thing you do for yourself to relax during this time? I love audiobooks. And I love, uh, I would say, science fiction, uh, fiction, escapism, right? Something that has nothing to do with today. I have to say I've been staying away from anything that had pandemic in the, in, in the, in the genre or, or the, the subject of the particular book. So uh, a lot of future stuff, space travel, that kind of thing, uh, totally takes me out of my day. I can't blame you for that, but we all need a little bit of that escapism. Thank you for your time today, Mike. Thanks for joining us and for sharing your expertise. Thanks for joining us today. And don't forget to pick up a copy of the Business Records October 16th edition to see highlights from this conversation. Or check out this story and others at www.innovationia.com 
Subscribe to our weekly Innovation Iowa e-newsletter and become a supporting member at www.businessrecord.com. 